This is Studio 360. I'm Kurt Anderson. Back in 1967, when I was in junior high, one weekday afternoon, I snuck out. It's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I went to see The Graduate. There are worse ways to play hooky than to catch a great piece of cinema, but what if staying home to watch movies was your schooling? When Jesse Gilmore started flunking high school in Toronto a few years ago, his father, David Gilmore, took some fairly drastic measures. A film critic and novelist by trade, David devised a new curriculum for Jesse, which he describes in his memoir, The Film Club. Basically, in exchange for watching and discussing three movies a week with him, David let his son drop out of school. And his first assignment? Francois Truffaut's The 400 Blows from 1959, the classic of the French New Wave. Well, I picked that because it seemed to me that, in a way, that that was going to be an autobiographical experience for him. You know, here's a film uh, about a guy who, who runs away from school, and Truffaut was a truant himself. The only thing he ever did was go to the movies in Paris. So, in a way, it seemed to me that there was a real parallel between Antoine, the kid's life, and Jesse's life. Although, you know, you can imagine that when I started to show him the film, I was greeted with an avalanche of yawns. Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, those movies are... 400 Blows is, is a very good movie, but I find it, it's, it's strange how the movies you're shown, which affect you and which don't. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, you'll watch a movie, you know, about a Sri Lankan cab driver, and you can relate more to that than the movie about the kid who dropped out of high school. And David, what... How was this deal that you offered Jesse Bourne? You know, I, I could see quite clearly. I mean, I you know, I loved him. He was a great guy. I had this really funny, energetic, companionable guy who simply hated school and was failing at it. So it wasn't as if I, should, I needed to take him to a psychiatrist. And, you know, I'm not an athletic guy, so we're not going to go outside and shoot the puck around. Um, the one thing that we chose that we seemed to gravitate towards naturally and effortlessly, which gave him pleasure and a little tiny bit of education, was film. So essentially, that was really all that was left for us to do. And and how old was Jesse at that point? He was just about to turn 16. Did you feel, Jesse, at the time that you'd pulled off this great coup of slackerdom by getting your father <laughs> to agree to this? Um, to tell you the truth, like I didn't... It's school at the time seemed so unnatural for who I was that it seemed like the appropriate thing to be doing for some reason. Uh-huh. Yeah, no, that's a good point, you know, Jesse, because it seemed like a completely normal thing to do, you know, an unemployed 50-year-old guy and his dropout son watching art movies all day. But it was only when we actually told people outside the house what we were doing that we sort of <laughs> realized that, that this was, you know, how shall we say, a transgressive activity. Yeah. And and what, did you set up strict rules? Did you say, okay, we're going to do this many a week, we're going to do this, this time of day? How, how structured well, <laughs> was it? It started off, and then I, you know, I remember he showed me Giant. The James Dean film. Yeah, and Giant, you know, I, I still don't think Giant picks up till about halfway through. Me, I'm going to have more money than you ever thought you could have. You and all the rest, you stinking sons of Benedicts. But at this time, I only watched half of it. And he said, what did you think? And I said, you know, I, I just couldn't get through it. I have always remembered the giant day when, because when I came home and I saw I'd taken the movie off, I thought, oh, 
this is actually going to require some real rules. And, and that was one of the few rules, which is, you know, obviously. And I didn't want a weenie club either. In other words, I didn't want some obnoxious teenager who could only talk about Fellini. So I'm, you know, I mixed, <laughs> you know, I, I mixed up the weenie movies with the basic instincts so that he could develop an appetite for, for junk, which, as any film connoisseur knows, is an essential part of your ammunition. Yeah. How, how did, you, did you pick the movies, of which there are dozens and dozens, in advance, or did you, was it sort of a make-it-up-as-you-go-along process? I think you had a repertoire, right, Dad, of yeah. things you wanted to show me, and he still does. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I forced uh, the third man on him again just a couple of nights ago. Here is another movie that you watched together. Come on, lad. First order, no messing about. Lennon, put them girls down, or I'll tell your mother of you. And stop messing about. Stay in here until that rehearsal. And it's going to keep in, even after I put the lock in the key and turn it. We're out! Can't buy me love. I almost needn't identify that, of course, as <laughs> you a, need to. a hard day's night. Scene in the book. <laughs> it's great. Well, why, why, why did you choose that, David? Just thinking, oh, you know, 16-year-olds well, 16, 16 in 1964 like that. Yeah, and to tell you the truth, I can't see those guys run down the stairs and break out onto the field with Can't Buy Me Love playing in the background without serious. I mean, I got a little bit of goosebumps when you just mm-hmm. played it now. Mm-hmm. And I thought... You know, I think the way maybe a lot of parents do, which was that my son was a sort of shorter version of myself, and that and that I thought that this was one way to water the plant, which was, oh yes, I'll give you this, you'll completely love it, and you'll be sort of even more like me than you are now. <laughs> and of course, almost of all the films I showed him, that was the most acutely embarrassing, I think. What was your reaction to it, Jesse? I thought it was really silly and really <laughs> self-loving. John Lennon's... Um, performance in it is just embarrassing. Here, here's another film in the film club syllabus. I don't know what to call you. I don't have a name. You want to know why? No, no, I don't. I don't want to know your name. You don't have a name and I don't have a name either. No names here. Not one name. You call me. Maybe I am, but I don't want to know anything about you. I don't want to know where you live or where you come from. I want to know nothing, nothing, nothing. You understand? That's, of course, Marlon Brando uh, in Last Tango in Paris. And, David, while you said you you avoided pornography, Last Tango is certainly not pornography, but, you know, there's a lot of explicit sex in it. Yes. Why did I make an exception for that one? Well, I'm not a prude, and I'm not suggesting that we bring in the armed forces against pornography, but I do believe that pornography bruises the soul. That Mm -hmm. happens to be a particular feeling. However, when Marlon Brando does pornography, he elevates it. He elevates it to great art, and I think that for me, interestingly enough, of all the movies Brando made, that Last Tango in Paris is his most attractive, most beguiling performance. When I saw it when I was 22 years old, it changed my great passion, which I thought was literature, to film. It really, uh, the heartbreaking monologues he does while he's lying in that room, where he's talking about. I remember. Um... His father. One time I was all dressed up. And how he's about to go on a date with a girl to a basketball game. To a basketball game. And his father makes him go out and milk the cows. Did you have to milk the cow? And I asked him, I said, would you please milk it for me? And he said, no, get your ass out there. So I went out and I was in a hurry. I didn't have time to change my shoes. And I had... So he gets cow crap on his shoes. My shoes. 
smelled in the car. And she says to him, well, why didn't you just wash it off? And he says, uh, you really don't know what it's like to hate somebody, do you? Right. Which is just, I think Marlon Brando right, is, is the best actor of all time, in my opinion. Jesse, which of these hundred-odd movies made the biggest uh, impression on you? The biggest impression on me? Um, Ran. That's Kurosawa's, Kurosawa's Ran. I never called that one. It's actually true, too, because I know, you know, you tell people, you know, what's the... And they, they just try to pick the most kind of obscure Japanese yes, art film yes, they can. Yes, yes. I, I know that trick, and that's actually not what I'm doing. <laughs> I have done that, but that's not what I'm doing now. It was so odd to see that he was completely transfixed by this remake of King Lear. I would have never guessed in a million years where he had nothing but contempt for John Lennon. <laughs> and and it, it is, for those who haven't seen it, a difficult film. A very difficult film, and it's also a very, very long film. Yeah. I can say it's beautifully shot, and, you know, the lighting's beautiful, and the performances are amazing, mm -hmm. but that that's not really why I liked it. It touched me on a primordial level, and mm -hmm. I don't know why it touched me so much, yeah. but it just did. And I think that is the great thing about movies. Do you wish in an ideal world that you could have screened all these in a theater rather than on a TV screen? No. I, personally, I don't at all. Jesse, what do you think? I, no. It was a lot more... Um, Intimate, but it was also a ritual. I think that it was a ritual. Uh -huh. between, it was a, yeah, it was, a, it was ritual. a ritual between the two of us. And he traipsed down the stairs we'd around five a, in yeah, the afternoon. Yeah, we'd have yeah, we'd have uh, we'd have dinner, <laughs> uh -huh. and um, and we'd watch them together. But afterwards, we'd go on the porch, and I'd I'd smoke, <laughs> a bad smoke. habit I still have. Yeah. Right, and and we'd talk in the movies. They got us talking about all kinds of things in my life at the time, what I was thinking about, you know. And there were a number of girlfriends. I'm not, don't worry, I'm not going to get into this. But there were a number of girlfriends that came and went. So the movies did serve as a kind of trampoline. So once he was out on the ports, we'd talk a little bit about the film. But then the conversation would go all sorts of other places. And, and you know, when you have your children, when you have children, it's the banal, unplanned moments mm -hmm. that are most like real life and, in the end, the most valuable. The really expensive trips to Disney World never really work out. <laughs> so I got to spend these three years, which we will never, he and I, ever have again. And most fathers actually don't get to have with their teenage boys. David and Jesse Gilmore, I want to thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure. Thanks for talking to us. Well, Saturday night at 8 o'clock I know where I'm gonna go I'm gonna pick my baby up and take a David Gilmore's book, The Film Club, has been translated into 23 languages. Would you let your kid drop out of school to do nothing but watch movies? And if you would, what movies would those be? Tell us at studio360.org. Saturday night.